0: Uh, we are in a study of Second uh, Timothy. Uh, so if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, uh, would you turn to Second Timothy three? Second Timothy three. We're going to be looking at verse 12 and uh, into the first part of chapter four. Second Timothy three, uh, 12 and following. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. How from uh, childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as you always be sober-minded and endure suffering do the work an evangelist fulfill your ministry Uh, Steve Bruink last week was dealing with the issue of uh, false teachers and so uh, it's those who, uh, and so Paul reminds us in verse 12 that those who desire to live godly lives, those that will stand for the truth, will be persecuted while evil people will go on. Um, those that are evil, these imposters, Uh, Their doctrine is unsound and actually harmful. They say they are Christians, but they are of the evil one. This warning reminds us that the church always has to be on guard. We always have to stand and be watchful against false teaching. In Paul's farewell address to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, meaning spiritual predators, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among yourselves they will come, men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after themselves, even from among ourselves. We expect the world to peddle false belief, but it happens even in the church. Sometimes it's misguided, sometimes it's ignorance, but sometimes and it seems to be the case here that they're actually predators. Predators. In it for themselves not not simply we're talking we're not talking about simply teachers with whom we disagree in the church there's all kinds of disagreements uh two weeks ago Dave Shaw talked about this and how you know we can have differences of understanding on important but secondary issues things like church government or the mode of baptism it's not as if the bible doesn't address those but we can disagree and still love each other and still recognize each other as belonging to the household of faith. Um, And so, in fact, uh, in one sense, different churches and different denominations exist, in part, so that we can disagree and still show love. And we don't have to argue every week about what happens in the pulpit. Uh, We can go to the church that we most agree with, that is, seeking to understand Scripture. But these false teachers are different. They're deceived and deceiving, blind leading the blind. They are not of the household of faith. So what should pastors, and in this case, Timothy, do? Uh, Continue in the faith, and remember your examples. Look at me with me. Look, look at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> beginning in verse 14. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy, in contrast to the false teachers, continue in the things you learned, knowing from whom you learned it. Continue persevere in the truth of the Bible and remember the life and the example of those that taught you the gospel. Continue and remember. We're going to start with the second first. Remember those from whom you learned the gospel. It's not just remembering and being thankful for them, though we should be. It's really, I think, what Paul wants to communicate and what seems to be consistent with the rest of Scripture is to remember the example of those who taught you the gospel. Uh, Now, who is Paul referring to here? Not simply to himself. Verse 15, he tells Timothy, "From, from your childhood you are acquainted with the Scriptures. Those things pertaining to salvation. Back in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul starts his letter by, by telling Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Remember your godly heritage. And so, I think, yeah, it's interesting, I, I, we're going to talk a little bit about godly heritage, and just before I start, just to consider this, this is the third time this, this has been addressed uh, in, in either Sunday morning or Wednesday night, in the last six weeks that it's come up. Uh, Kyle just mentioned it uh, the last time he preached, and it just struck me as I was thinking about this lesson, what, what is it that God's trying to say, and who is he trying to say it to? Uh, when things are repeated over and over, I mean, you think about all the things that could be shared from the pulpit. When something is repeated, perhaps uh, we should uh, give special attention to it in our hearts and ask God, is there something for me that you're trying to communicate? Growing up in the church, sometimes... Uh, those who do can underestimate how God uses the examples of the life of faith in others and how God used that in our life. I learned the gospel from uh, Gene and Susan Huber, not simply my pastor and his wife, though they were that. I learned it from my parents. I heard the truth of the gospel and what they said I also saw the gospel lived out in their example I witnessed the power of faith in our home it was not simply nice words about a nice religion they truly believed the bible It wasn't just for show. It wasn't just for Sunday. It's how we lived in our house. I remember, um, do you remember Dan? The first, was it Dan? Was the first employee my dad hired, assistant pastor back in the early early 70s before Bruce? Uh, I think that was his name. And I remember... uh, uh, he was on our staff for a short time in the early part of the 70s. And um, uh, it, it, at one point, my dad was away for the first time ever. And uh, this man tried to divide the church and take it over. But there was a, there was, a, and later on, you, I heard a story. I think it was Carol that told me this. Uh, uh, she was at their house for dinner. Uh, he and his wife, and they had three kids, and after dinner, they did a a family devotion. And as the parents went into the other room, into the kitchen to get dessert, Carol said something about that, and the kids say, oh, we only do this when we have company. (laughs) It was, for them, at least at that point in their life, it seemed to be only uh, for show. Um, Now, when I say that the, the gospel and the power of faith was lived out in our home, that does not mean in any fashion that I had perfect parents um, that never struggled with sin. I can, I, can re- I can recall lots of sinful responses on the part of my parents. And if you're willing to pay me money, I might write them down for you. But the Christian life isn't about... Never falling and never failing, is it? It's about uh, seeking to obey. But when you fall, when God opens your eyes to the ways in which you're not living or responding the way that you should, there's repentance. And that's what I saw, and that's part of the gospel as well. They were a living example to me. of what it means to be a Christian. And that's what we're to be, isn't it? And that's what we want to be. Uh, to our kids, to our spouse, to our small group, to our friends. We want to be a living example, to seek to live in righteousness and repent and turn from sin and into Christ when we don't. And in my house, in both obedience and times of struggle, my parents put the gospel on display. And, you know, as a teenager, I appreciated that to some degree. But I was, you know, I was a typical teenager in lots of ways. Um, I could be critical of my parents, I thought they were unfair at times too strict, there were times that I thought, when I grow up, I'm never going to do whatever X is. But as I became an adult, I realized that the most important things in my life were instilled in me by my parents, We might disagree about all kinds of things still today, but my view of God, the Bible, and the local church, I received from my parents. Those are the foundation of life for me. And I learned it from what they said and how they lived and the priorities they made. But it wasn't just my parents i can think of a whole host of people of faith um, that influenced me i was surrounded by the church and so the faithfulness of god's people has always been right before my eyes i remember Uh, science school teachers and youth leaders. Um, Gene and Bucky were my youth group leaders when I was in grade school. Gene was my fifth and sixth grade science school teacher. I don't remember much of what Bucky said, and I, today try not to listen to him too much how old are you bucky yeah 87 years old and my whole life he has served the lord and so that faithfulness is an example to me uh, for those of you who remember Harvey and Lilo Hahn, Joe and Linda Sweeney, who were my leaders in junior high, or uh, Doug and Sandy Baird, who were my high school youth leaders. I just had breakfast with Doug, I think it was Wednesday morning. He's about to turn seventy this year. I was a junior in high school when he turned thirty. And he's he's we're talking. And he says and he mentions somebody. Do you remember? So-? I said, Doug, that was forty years ago, man. I don't remember any of that. 40 years of just being an example and speaking into my life. It's interesting, recently I I read a study about uh, young adults who uh, are raised in the church, and so many of them leave and, and leave the faith and go other places and don't follow Christ. But for those that stay in the church and faithful to Christ... One of the variables is a faithful adult, a follower of Christ outside their parents who has influence on their life that speaks into them. That could be a Sunday school teacher. That could be a youth worker. That could be an aunt or an uncle. It could be maybe a... a, um, Someone in your small group that that takes an interest in your kids and just loves them and loves you. God uses the encouragement and wisdom of his people, not just to impact our young people, but to impact us. I was just talking to a woman on Sunday who has been part of the church for years, and she has a hard time opening up to people. She's been hurt a lot. In life, And so we were talking about small groups and community, and she knows she should, and she wants to, but she's just struggling. Uh, my involvement in small groups, not just overseeing them, but actually being in one with guys, has been monumental in my Christian growth. People who can speak into my life And who I can get to know. That's why we emphasize community here. Because the Christian life isn't meant to be lived alone, is it? It's a corporate affair. We are citizens of a kingdom. Part of a family. Together we make up the temple of the living God. They're all corporate identities. And so remembering the example of the people in your church or seeing the example of the people in your church is so important. It takes a church, a corporate community to raise a Christian. Sometimes we talk about the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace are those things that God has given all believers in every place and time to help them grow. The church, the Bible, and prayer. God may give other experiences and other gifts, but we all have the word, prayer, and the church. And that's where God has promised to build and strengthen our faith God by his spirit speaks to us through his word we speak to God in our prayers and we minister to one another in his body Timothy's told to remember uh, who he learned the gospel from and and so many of us might look to our godly parents perhaps you didn't have godly parents Or your life didn't center around the church. Maybe you've just come to faith later in life. But here you are now. And the wonderful thing is, when we place our faith in Christ, we become part of a bigger and better family. And I say that not to diminish the physical ties that bind us with our mother and father and children. And, but those relationships are temporary. It's hard to imagine it in that way. Our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters is forever. I remember a number of years ago, uh, when I was teaching uh, Changing Hearts, Changing Lives here in, on a Wednesday night, and my mom was sitting on the front row. And, and I forget where in the, uh, in the curriculum I was, but it struck me on the most basic of levels, she is my sister. She's, she, you know, here now, she's my mother, she's my mommy. But in eternity, that relationship will fade. And what will be left is what we have in Christ. And so you have the church as your family. Now, as you look around, or if you've been around, perhaps that's a little disappointing. Well, we're fallen people who are struggling, aren't we? We're saved, but we still have indwelling sin, and we're going to disappoint and hurt each other sometimes. Well, isn't that a wonderful opportunity to put into practice the things that we say we believe and the things that we say mark a Christian, which is love and forgiveness. In membership class, uh, this coming week, we'll talk about that. And, you know, it's it, it, the wonderful thing about the local church is and this is going to sound ironic, is we're stuck with each other through good and bad. You know, uh, when I was dating Jennifer, you know, we we loved each other as we were moving towards marriage. But love can be kind of easy when you can go your separate ways at night And the option of saying, I don't think this is working for me anymore, is still there. When we got married, now it's forever. And most of the time, that sounds wonderful. Sometimes that can be hard. But through the problems, the fights, the whatever whatever it happens, it tests our love for each other and it actually strengthens our love as we work through it. And it's that way in the church. As, As we struggle at times with a personality or a person or what they said or how they said it or whatever the case may be or decision made, the fact that we endure in spite of that, love and forgive actually strengthens our bonds and declares the gospel. The world is is the place that will give up on people. The church should not be. And so maybe you didn't have godly parents, but you have a church. And so I would encourage you to, to join a community fellowship or a growth group where you can find people to encourage you and you can be encouragement for them look for a mature believer that you can get to know and they'll invest in you and 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 the wonderful thing of that is it becomes a reciprocal relationship it's just not mentor mentee it's brothers and sisters encouraging each other you could begin to Meet for discipleship and prayer. You can, If you don't know who to ask, maybe pray to God and ask him to, to show you someone, to bring someone into your life that you can follow their example and they can be an encouragement to you because they've been through what you're going through. You can be an example to others. You don't have to be, you don't have to be cool or hip to have an impact on others. You just have to love Jesus and to desire to grow using the ordinary means of grace. For the last um, seven years, uh, we've, we've had uh, our young adult ministry next. Twice a month, uh, I have young people that come into my house, I cook them dinner, and we either have a, a book discussion or a Bible study or something. Um... Anthony and Liz are part of that Uh, I don't know why they come I've been saying for pretty much seven years I've been saying that I don't know why they come I am not what you call a fun guy (laughs) fun for me is sitting down drinking coffee reading theology that's what I do for fun But as long as they come, I'm going to keep doing it because I want to be a faithful example. In fact, more and more recently, I've been praying, not just for myself, but for Jennifer and our house, just as people enter it, whether young or old or whatever, that they would sense and feel the love of God. So whoever we are, wherever we are, we can impact others. You can be a faithful example and an encouragement for Christ. And so the question is tonight, where where are you serving? Where are you impacting the lives of others? Who are you praying for? Who are you asking to pray for you? Which actually is a little harder, isn't it? Really easy to ask, what can I pray for you? To have that turned on us, that means I have to reveal something. If you want to impact the future, and I'm not saying this simply because we need workers, children's ministry. That's a great place. Because, again, you don't have to be dynamic. You don't have to be cool. You just have to be there. You have to be faithful. Again, I, I mentioned uh, Bob, and Children's Ministry was the last place he wanted to serve, but he got asked. I think it was Linda. I think it was your mom that kind of. And he just thrived in his own quirky way. Uh, he'll be gone three years. And it was about a year before He died. he was sitting at my dining room table. And I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But as we were talking, I guess he got talking about children's ministry, and in my mind was just a, a host of faces from our years in Pleasantville when I was a, a, young, a very young person. And I couldn't even remember all of their names, but I remember them. And I remember they were there. And I remember that they were serving the church. And I told Bobby, I said, you know what? There's going to come a day you and I will be gone. But there's a lot of young people. When they're our age, they're going to say, I don't remember his name. But there was this old guy with a beard and a hat who always was trying to get me to memorize Bible verses. And they're going to thank God for you. to be an example, to remember the examples we had of faith and to be an example of faith. And so Timothy is, this young pastor, is to remember those who were faithful examples to him so that as a pastor, he might continue in the faith. He might carry on that example. And to be a faithful witness To the next generation of people that means following god with all of our heart all of our soul all of our mind and all of our strength one of the reasons we are to remember the example of faith is so that we will continue in the faith because sometimes we get discouraged sometimes we think it's too much and it seems like nobody else is really trying. But then we remember the people, not that just we saw, but the, the, the ones that we knew. And we remember they were faithful. They didn't give in. They were steadfast. And so uh, to continue in the faith is something not just for Timothy, but for all of us. But it's especially true to remember and continue in the faith for pastors because they lead the church. Elders lead others and they set the tone and the trajectory of the local church. And so they are to be an example to the rest of the flock. They guard the heart and doctrine of the local church and they guard its members. That's one of the purposes of elders To lead, disciple, and guard the flock. Seeking to ensure the faithfulness of the people in the church. 1 Timothy 4, Paul tells uh, this same young pastor in an earlier letter, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. You will save both yourself And your hearers. Watch your own heart and your own doctrine, pastor. Because it impacts others. Are you one who is leading people in the faith? Or are you deceived and deceiving? And so that's not just true for pastors, but that's true for all of us, isn't it? The question is, what's at stake? The gospel itself. And if the gospel's at stake, then the salvation of souls. Pastors and all of us as Christians should be able to say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow Christ. Those can be daunting words. As a pastor, I'm supposed to be able to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. And even as I say those words, in my mind are all the play times and places that I struggle. All the places that I'm weak. Watch your heart. Watch your own faithfulness. To Christ, so that you might be an example to others. Continue, Timothy, verse 14, in the things you learned. Persevere in the truths that you have believed and that saved you. The call is to continue in the faith, to persevere, because all sorts of pressures come against us. Some of them are external. There is the world and what it says and its and its views of of happiness and satisfaction. There's the devil. There's false teachers who are more than willing to sell us a false truth. Externally there's also persecution, isn't there? The world wants to conform us into its image. And if we're not willing to go along with the program, well, I guess you're going to get punished. There's also internal pressure. It's not just the world. It's not just sin. It's not just persecution. There's the remaining sin in us, isn't there? It's that old nature that we battle with. It's our flesh that wages war against the spirit. We, we all know that, what that's like, don't we? Galatians 5, 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want to please God. I want to obey. I want to love him. And it's in those moments that we feel like we're doing pretty good when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, temptation just swoops in. We have to be on guard. We have to remain dependent. We've never arrived. We haven't arrived until Jesus comes back and he perfects us. Until then, this battle continues. What we're waging, the sins that we wage war over, they change. But the battle over sin remains. And pastors are called to help us wage that battle against the flesh. The old nature within us wants to feel good and then wants the desires of the flesh to be condoned. My sin is not a big deal. Steve's is, but mine's not. Mine's, it's a white lie. God wants me to be happy Doesn't he? Everybody does it. What I do behind closed doors, no one will ever know. But there is one who sees all. We never get away with anything. Nothing. God knows it all. We don't want to be told that what we're doing or what we're thinking is wrong. We don't like uh, what we're doing to be called sin. A common complaint that I've heard over the years about uh, church is, and and, uh, I can speak only of this church, that church or that preacher talks about sin way too much. And I come away feeling guilty. Guilty. Beating up people is not a good thing. But the conviction of sin is, isn't it? That's a a mercy of God. And if you're walking away feeling convicted, the problem isn't really with the preacher, is it? It's what's going on in your heart and the battle you're waging. Sin still knocks at the door seeking to tempt us. Sin is still an ever present danger, even for Christians. But the good news is we have died to sin when we when we were united to Christ. His death on the cross is our death, and his resurrection is our resurrection. And so we have been raised up to new life. We, yes, we still have an old sinful nature. But our sins are forgiven. The guilt of sin is gone, but more than that, the power of sin is broken. We have this old nature that's slowly dying, but we have this new nature being renewed in us day by day, and this new nature and the indwelling Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. It's making us more like Christ, but he doesn't Uh, God doesn't just save us and leave us alone. That spirit is working in us so that we love righteousness and we love God. And the spirit works, how? Through his word. That's the normal way the spirit works. The spirit and the word And so we continue in the faith knowing that God is faithful and that he will perfect us in the day of Christ Jesus. And so we persevere in the struggle against sin confident that eternal life is ours. And so Paul closes his uh, letter to the Galatians this way. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are you sowing today? Do you ever read your Bible and feel discouraged and you think, it's just a bunch of words? It's a bunch of words on a page. Blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't seem to make much change. It does. If we don't give up hope and we keep sowing to the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap life. Sometimes the blessings pour out and the change comes. Other times seem dry. But God is faithful, and He will work. And those times that we mess up and we sin, and then the alarm goes off, and you think, "I I just can't do it. I don't want to read my. I, I don't even want to face God." That's when you need it most, because you're frustrated in that guilt, thinking, "I've not changed." But the answer isn't to avoid the very thing that will help you. You get up, and you can say, I feel guilty, and it's just words. Do it. Put yourself in that place where the Spirit has promised to work through his word. And, and tell God, be honest. I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't like what I'm doing. I just feel guilty. Whatever, whatever it is in your heart, have a conversation with God. That's really the point that Steve was making part of last week. It's, it's a God and us conversation. And so it's being honest with him and just telling him, this is where I'm at today. Help me, Father, to have a right attitude as I come. And if I don't have a right attitude, may your word work in my heart. And if you've read and you've prayed and it still feels like it was nothing, saying, Lord, you got to help me because I don't know what else to do. And believe that he will help. He will be faithful. Oh, I'm on the next page. No wonder I don't know where I'm at. Hmm. Think about what Paul says in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Transformed, how? The renewing of your mind. And so we come back to the ordinary means of grace. Fellowship in the local church, godly dependence in prayer, And the Word that transforms us by the renewing of our mind. The Spirit working through the Word that shapes our mind and shapes our heart, and then in turn shapes our life. You want to have a different response to life? Go to the Word, go to God. The Word of God and the Spirit working together will transform you. So the question is, what is the nature of the Word that's able to do that? Look at verses 16 and 17 of our text. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. We have to be convinced of that. Years ago, the... um, R. Kenton Hughes, who was pastor of college church um, out in, uh, outside Chicago, um, told a story of a pastor who was uh, preaching an evening service on the virgin birth. And the pastor raised his Bible, and he tore out the pages in his Bible that referred to the virgin birth. And he said this, If we cannot believe in the virgin birth, which is what the world says and liberal theologians say, if we cannot believe in the virgin birth, let's tear it out of the Bible. He then tore out the pages that referenced the resurrection. And then he tore out the pages that referenced the miracles. And then all the passages that referenced anything supernatural. And all around him were these pages And then he held up his bible and says what do we have left the sermon on the mount and then he says this and that has no authority for me if a divine christ didn't preach it if we're going to start taking pages out of the bible and this was his point if we're going to do that what do we have left just the ethical teaching of jesus which That's a wonderful way to live, isn't it? But that won't save you. Will it? The Sermon on the Mount, ethical living, keeping the law, that cannot save you. Why? Because you're a sinner. The problem isn't the law. The law is good. But we can't keep it. We need something more salvation is by grace it is a gift of God not of works and so as we approach the Bible then we have to come to the understanding that all of it is true and all of it comes from the mouth of God if all the Bible is not true then why should we believe or obey any of it if only parts come from god then how do we know that the parts that we cherish are not the parts that aren't from god perhaps your favorite parts are the fictional parts the world's going to dismiss the bible but there are christians who do the same thing i remember the year after I graduated college, I, was, uh, I, I graduated from Messiah, and uh, I was on my way to Geneva where I spent my first two years, and I stopped on campus to see some friends. And there was a guy who was a Bible major who was a friend of mine. We actually took Greek together. And so he was very serious about his faith, and we were just chit-chatting. I was getting ready to go. And I don't know how we got on it, but he was telling me that some parts of the Bible are inspired and some parts aren't. This guy was being trained to be a pastor. I I, I never heard of such a thing. And there was a Bible over on a table, and he was insisting on this. And I just picked it up, and I said, how do you know which parts are and which parts aren't? I don't understand. All of it comes from God. That doesn't mean every part is easy to understand or that there aren't tensions in Scripture, passages that say different things that we try to understand. And so we have to think about context and genre, and we have to think about uh, where in redemptive history a passage takes place, all those sorts of questions. But unless we're convinced that the Bible is objectively God's word. It doesn't become God's word as we read it. It is God's word, whether we believe it or not. It is God speaking. And unless we believe that, it's not likely that we'll continue in the faith. It's likely we'll drift away. All Scripture is breathed out by God, meaning Scripture is God speaking so that every word is what God wants for us. Sure, God spoke through men, but that doesn't diminish the reality of God sovereignly superintending the words of men to say what he wants to have said. In 2 Peter 1, it says, and we have the prophetic word, More fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark until the dawn arrives and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men Spoke from God as the Spirit moved them to write and speak. And so we ha- can have confidence in the Bible. And since we have God's Word, we should be confident that we are not left alone, that we have what we need. We have the Spirit and the Word, and so we have everything for life and godliness. All Scripture is brewed out so we can live and respond in faith and obedience. In uh, the passage I just read in First uh, Peter, one, it talks about the prophetic word being a lamp shining in the dark. Immediately in our minds, it should hearken us back to Psalm 119. Where it says, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It makes known to us what God desires. It tells us what righteousness looks like. And it also reveals what's going on in our heart. It addresses our motive. Think of Hebrews 4. 12 to 13, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight. We cannot hide from God and his word. As we read it, we may look good on the outside, but the word pierces our intentions it's not it's not good enough it's not enough to look good and do good we need to want good and love well god is concerned about our motives and the motives for all that we do should be the glory of god jesus in matthew 22 is asked uh, what is the greatest command And he says, the greatest command is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands rests all the law and the prophets. All of life, all of Scripture is summed up in those two commands. Love God, love neighbor. Love for God is the motive to love our neighbor, who is made in the image of God. This is what we are made to do and to be. Lovers of God and lovers of each other. Scripture reveals that in us, and so it exposes not just our behavior, but our motives. Think about Jesus when he was tempted. Did he get into some prolonged debate with Satan? He simply quoted Scripture. Even when Satan tempts Jesus over a a, a real need, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. The man needed some food. Well, if you are the Son of God... What's the big deal? Just turn the stones to bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't say that he wasn't hungry. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I, I, could, I, I would like a little bread right now. I don't know. We're not told. But we, what we are told is that more than even a physical need is a spiritual need that's more important All Scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Teaching and reproof has to do with doctrine, how we think. Are we thinking God's thoughts after him? Are we reflecting what God says is true and real and right and wrong? Correction and training relates to conduct. The Word of God, as it teaches our minds, sort of straightens our life out. It tells us how we're supposed to live. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How God shapes your thinking is the Spirit applying the Word to your life so that you live it out. If we give little time to his word, our faith, will, our, our, our faith will be weak, and so will our obedience. Scripture transforms thinking and living. Verse 17, so that the person of God may be complete, perfected brought full circle, equipped for every good work. The Spirit and the Word give life so that what we uh, do and how we think and what we say pleases God. And so if that's all true, if there are these false teachers and, and Timothy's told to continue in the faith and to remember the examples of those that he learned it from... And then uh, he, the means by which he does that is through the word of God applied to us by the spirit of God. What is Timothy, as a pastor of this small church, supposed to do? Chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. In season and out season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What is the job of a pastor preach the word that's our primary job our first job is to preach and teach but how do we think about preaching the first criteria of good preaching is not a dynamic speaker or a good storyteller though those are helpful things And a pastor or a preacher should work at them. But some people are just more gifted than others in those ways. Those are communication skills that can help the the preacher better communicate. The first criteria of preaching is to be faithful to Scripture. Um regardless of what you think of my preaching and teaching my goal my first goal not my only goal my first goal and my ultimate purpose or desire is to be true to the text and to be clear I can't almost every time I preach I'll ask Jennifer on the drive home Was I clear? If if I've been true to the text and I was clear, I'm happy. Now if I felt as though people were really listening and and I was connecting, I feel even better. That's a desire. I don't control that other than to work at my at my craft. But what I can do is spend time in the word and be faithful to the word and then try to make it clear to his people and ask the spirit then to do what the spirit wants to do. Everything else is secondary. Being engaging and dynamic, I I want that, but... um, this is all I got to work with, so. Um, and the problem is, I, I've recognized as I've listened to guys in other churches sometimes, when the secondary issues—being dynamic and funny or good storytellers—becomes primary, what suffers is the Word of God. And then, who suffers are the people of God. They become weak and malnourished. The goal of preaching is to make the Word of God clear. We exposit the text. Not my opinion, and not even my favorite theological hobby horse. What's the text in front of us? Let me teach that. And so uh, sometimes I'm asked, why don't we address this or why don't we address that? And and not that the Bible, we can't have some discussions about social issues and modern issues that plague our society, and we should address them, because the Bible has something to say about all of that. But I want to be careful that I not get in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, because preaching is different than teaching our small group. Sunday morning, I am speaking on behalf of God to his people. And so what I say is thus saith the Lord. And so how I'm thinking about things or what my opinion is or this is what I would do um, has a little place. And so scripture, because it comes from God, should shape all of our preaching, teaching, and counseling. All three are ministry of the word. And so the pastor needs to give himself to word and prayer. If you think back to Acts 6 in the establishment of the office of deacons. There was a, a, a true need in the church. The Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. The church was, was supplying food for these women because they were either didn't have families or because they, came, they became followers of Christ, they were disowned. And so it was a real need and it was the church's responsibility. And what do the apostles say? Um, remembering the apostles were the first elders. They, said, they say, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. They weren't diminishing the serving of tables. They weren't saying, well, oh, this is beneath us. They go on, therefore, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer And the ministry of the word. It's not as though serving tables is demeaning beneath them. No, it's that the word and prayer is so vital to the life of the church that we can't give that up. Because that's the one thing we have to do. Now, pastors have to do all kinds of things. We have to uh, make leadership decisions, sit in on meetings, administrate stuff. That all is part of church life in the sense of how do you make stuff happen? But our call from God is to preach. And so let me, I'm just going to, I'm over already. Uh, Just a couple of things. Uh, First, pray for your pastors that they would give themselves to prayer and the word so that together we may grow in our love and obedience to Christ. Second, pray for our deacons who give themselves to addressing the physical needs of the most vulnerable among us. They are a great help in carrying this burden with us. Give thanks to God for your small group leader. They help carry the burden as well. Particularly in a large church, it's hard to minister to everyone. And so a, 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 a person who's willing to care and to, and to disciple a small group of people is a tremendous help, and it's an encouragement. And then pray for each other that we each would use our gifts and abilities in the work of ministry so that the church would grow. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask that as we consider the things that were said tonight, that your spirit would highlight those things that we need to hear anything that was not of you and and not in accordance to your word we ask that it would just uh uh, fall away Uh, but the things that were true of you and what you want for us that we would cling to father help us uh and we ask this in jesus name amen